This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 27, The Van Meter Visitor Just 20 miles west of Des Moines, the modest municipality of Van Meter, Iowa, appears to be just like any other Midwestern town flat farmland with a smattering of prefab rambler-style homes, churches, and baseball fields. This quintessential slice of American small-town living is just about as picturesque a place as you could find. What unsuspecting visitors or passers-by would never guess is that a five-day period in its history sets this place apart. It positions it firmly in the pantheon of 14 focal points. In September and October of 1903, a series of sightings and violent encounters would forever burn a cryptozoological keepsake into the hearts and minds of its citizenry. To this day, there isn't a resident alive who doesn't recall the tale of one town's harrowing encounter with the Van Meter visitor. It was an unseasonably cold September night in 1903. U.G. Griffith, A prominent salesman in the Van Meter area was late home. He had spent the evening sealing the deal with a potential client, and after spending some time completing paperwork in his office, he realized that it was after 1 a.m. Knowing that Mrs. Griffith would be none too happy about another late night at the office, he pulled his coat tightly around him and began rushing down a main drag entirely devoid of people or activity of any kind. He wasn't surprised by this, of course. This was Van Meter. The town closed tight like a clamshell at 9pm on a big night. In fact, he could only think of one honorable man who might be out at this hour, and it was, of course, himself. It was a ten-minute walk home from his office, if traversed briskly, and this walk was nothing if not brisk. A mere ten yards into the journey, he began kicking himself for ignoring his wife's predictions that morning that he would need his winter coat. While he had expected the walk to be both dark and silent, Griffith couldn't help but feel uneasy about the weight that he felt in the chilled air around him. He couldn't explain why, but after a few minutes he slowed down, getting the feeling that he may need to be more vigilant about his surroundings than normal. As he reached the next intersection, Carefully surveying the nightscape around him, he nearly jumped out of his skin when suddenly a bright light poured into the street ahead of him. Shocked but prepared, he took a moment to focus on the illicit illumination source point. He saw what to him was obviously an open lantern on the roof of the department store across the street. What, he wondered, could anyone be doing up there at this time of night? 
Nothing sightly, that was certain. Mr. Griffith was not a run-of-the-mill salesman. He had spent the better part of two decades establishing himself as a pillar of this community. It was his civic duty to confront any unseemly activities that he came across, and he did just that. Boldly, the concerned citizen strode out into the center of the light and shouted up at the nocturnal nuisance. Oi! What's the big idea? It was at that moment that reality began to bend in a way that Eugene Griffith had never experienced or even believed possible. What he had believed to be a lantern sitting atop the four-story building suddenly shot into the sky. It stopped at around 20 feet above the rooftop, then seemed to float or drift about half a block down, just to settle on the rooftop of the new hotel that had just opened two weeks previously. He was frozen. How was this possible? A sweat broke out on his palms. The kind that overtakes a man when his world turns upside down in a single moment. To his credit, he pushed down the existential dread and convinced himself that this was simply more evidence that whatever was going on had to be something improper. He stiffened his resolve and increased his pace along the side of the street. As he neared the newest light show location, he shouted out once again, Get down here and show yourself! In response, once again, the light lifted from its position and slowly hovered directly over him just to come to rest on the building across the street. This didn't make any sense. What was he seeing? It certainly wasn't one man with a lantern. He then decided that it was in his best interest to keep his mouth shut and watch. He wiped the sweat on the front of his slacks and stepped back to lean against the building trying to get a better look at what was creating this inexplicable incandescence. It didn't move. He stood there for what felt like ages, waiting, watching. He was so focused on the task in front of him that he hadn't realized that his right foot had been resting awkwardly on a thick shard of brick next to the building. When a shift of his weight caused his foot to slide forward just far enough to grind the failed bit of masonry against the plank walkway beneath him, As the accident sent a barking report into the darkness around him, the light shot straight up into the sky, quickly at first, then it slowed. But it never veered from its vertical path until it vanished into the cloud cover overhead. Griffith stood there in awe. He had no explanation for what he had just witnessed. He stood his ground for several minutes in hopes that the light would return. When he finally gave up, he set off once again for home. Later, under the still-glowing lantern light of his front pathway, he retrieved his pocket watch from the inside pocket of his jacket. 1.15. When taking into account the time spent walking before and after the encounter, he figured what felt like an hours-long standoff with this enigmatic anomaly. Could not have lasted more than five minutes. He decided that he would make a point to speak with the owners of each building in the morning. And turn in for the evening, but he did not sleep. The prominent position that he enjoyed in the community held serious weight when he began to discuss his experiences with the townspeople. By the end of the day, nearly every rooftop in town had been investigated for signs of a break-in. Nothing was found. While this inquiry yielded little in the way of answers, one thing that it did accomplish was putting nearly every citizen of Van Meter on edge. Tensions rose because the people trusted the word of Griffith, 
They were shocked by the incredible story, and by the evening of September 30th, the town was abuzz with nervous energy. Among the friends of U.G. Griffith that took the story very seriously was a man named Dr. Alcott. While attempting to put his fears to bed and get some rest in the back room of his office that evening, he became the second to encounter this mysterious force. It was around midnight that night when the small sleeping quarters were suddenly filled with bright light through the single window across from his bed. Immediately, it occurred to the good doctor that this had to be the same prowler that his friend had spotted the night before. He retrieved his pistol from his desk and hurried down the stairs to the ground level. Unfortunately, what greeted him as he strode confidently through the front door would change him forever. Sleepless and tormented nights would become commonplace for this poor unsuspecting witness for the rest of his life. Clinging to the side of the building, just outside his bedroom window, was a chimerical creature ripped straight from the pages of pulp science fiction. Mostly humanoid, with an incredible set of wings that ended in sharp razor-like talons. A long, extended beak coming from the front of its face was offset by what appeared to be a horn jutting out from the center of its forehead. This was, however, no ordinary horn. Alcott reported that the horn was somehow generating this incredibly bright light that had woken him. The doctor, acting purely on a mixture of intense fear and panic, cried out and fired his pistol toward the beast. It swung its head in his direction blinding him with the impossibly bright light emanating from its horn, and in response he fired four more times. The winged wonder let out a piercing screech, and under the power of its wings shot off into the night sky. The next morning's investigation produced a pile of spent shell casings, and fairly substantial damage to the brick and woodwork surrounding the second-story window. With no sign of blood or damage to the creature, it was assumed that all five rounds had missed their mark. The doctor's corroboration of Griffith's story sent a wave of panic and hypervigilance through the community. People all over town began to take steps in order to protect themselves from the ostensibly vicious visitor. The local bank manager and senior deacon in the Masonic Lodge, Clarence Dunn, formed a plan. Concerned that his bank may be the next location targeted, he set out to spend the night sitting in the corner with a shotgun. Soon into the evening, the long workday caught up with him and he fell asleep. It was just after 1 a.m. when Don awoke to heavy breathing and a bizarre gurgling sound coming from just outside the window across from him. He stood, picked up his firearm, and slowly approached the window to get a better look at whatever was making that distinctly animalistic combination of noises. At three feet, he saw nothing. He stepped closer. At a foot, he still saw nothing. He leaned forward slowly, carefully. The off-putting sound of what now sounded to him like labored chewing still clearly audible through the glass. In an attempt to see past his reflection, Dunn lifted his free hand and cupped it gently between the glass and his brow. There it was. Something moving. And he was instantly blinded. Covering his eyes as he staggered back and raised his shotgun, he attempted to rub the phosphoric light show from his eyes. 
Once recovered, he opened them to find that the beam of light that had assaulted him was now methodically sweeping left and right through the room. The beast was searching for something. As he leveled the firearm, he managed to discern a few details between sweeps of the powerful and seemingly biological searchlight. He would later describe a long pointed beak filled with sharp teeth and a large pair of lifeless eyes. Terrified by the hellish image before him, he squeezed the trigger and exploded the window in front of him with a fantastic spray of buckshot. The light was no longer in a search pattern. As the window shattered, it spotlighted the violent vigilante before taking off in a loud huff of wind. Falling asleep was not an issue for Clarence Dunn for the rest of that evening. He reported the incident to authorities in the morning, and an investigation of the scene found several footprints outside the destroyed window. 11 to 13 inches in length with three long toes. A series of local hunters and trappers would unsuccessfully attempt to create plaster casts of the footprints over the next several days. Whatever was terrorizing the people of Van Meter, it was not an animal that anyone was familiar with, and it most certainly was not human. The following evening would see the fourth encounter in the series. At some point in the very early morning hours, the owner of the local hardware store, O.V. White, was awoken by the same combination of gurgling and heavy breathing that had been heard in the bank the night before. Pulling his rifle from beneath his bed and racing to the building's side door to investigate, he was startled to find himself being examined by a cloaked humanoid figure perched atop the telegraph pole. As he raised his rifle to open fire, the creature spread its wings, and an atrocious and incredibly powerful stench overtook him. He dropped to his knees choking, eyes burning, nose running. Having been alerted by the commotion near the street, the owner of the town's department store, Sidney Gregg, came outside just as the odorous offender shot up into the sky. White fled his position in order to escape the choking stench. He convened with Gregg in the middle of the street and the two men watched as the beast disappeared in the distance. One thing that stood out to them was the direction of escape. The creature had fled the scene and vanished in the direction of the old coal mine. They took note of this and brought it up with their neighbors and the authorities the following morning. Now the town felt as though it had enough information to form a plan. They were through with being terrorized on a now nightly basis. So nine local business owners met with the mayor that morning and a course of action was determined. The mayor and the town elders set up a meeting with the director of the mine, Mr. Platt. It wasn't long before he nervously revealed a recent issue that had been preoccupying some of his workforce. For nearly two months, rumor had been spreading through his ranks that eerie and sometimes downright terrifying noises had been heard floating up from a few of the abandoned shafts. He had written the phenomenon off as superstitious nonsense. But as the collection of shopkeepers discussed their experiences, Mr. Platt found himself breaking out in a cold sweat. It was clear to all who attended that the sounds plaguing his workers belonged to this inhuman entity that had been terrorizing the town. With this information in mind, they finally formed a plan. Two guards were posted at the main entrance of the mine overnight. They were instructed to hold their fire and simply watch for anything strange and alert the police immediately if anything came up. 
It was less than two hours after they were dispatched that they came rushing back into town. They had spotted not one, but two of the winged wretches fly up out of the mine and into the night sky. This makeshift council rushed about town, waking up trustworthy locals and miners alike. A posse of sixteen men quietly made their way out to the mine to lay in wait. They would ambush the inauspicious aeroform as they attempted to return home. Just after daybreak, the few skeptical holdouts left in the group got the proof they needed as they spotted the pair on the horizon. As they began their descent toward the mine, the group sprang from their hiding places and opened fire. A hail of bullets and buckshot rained down on the couple. Savage shrieks and noxious gases joined the cacophony of rifles, shotguns, and sidearms to fill the early morning air with the ambience of an absolute war zone. For a fair few seconds, this group of defenders felt as though they were in a fight for the survival of their entire town. But all of their work was ineffective. Many of the men would later report that they had watched their shots land with no effect whatsoever. The grotesquely graceful gargoyles glided straight past them and back into the mine. After the event in the bank where the creature had survived a point-blank shotgun blast without difficulty, Clarence Dunn had prepared the group for this possibility and when it came to fruition, they switched tacks seamlessly. Rushing to the cave entrance to connect the piles of explosives with the detonators. They quickly blasted the mineshaft, caving in and blocking the only egress point available to the beasts and a sigh of relief swept through the fatigued foot soldiers. While this felt like a victory, the group was not easily convinced. For the next month, members of the squad took turns as night watchmen. They waited for any sight, sound, or sign of the pterosauric terrors, but no such sighting has ever occurred. The Van Meter visitor, or visitors, were never seen or heard from again. Whether they died in that collapsed mine shaft, or somehow found another route of escape, the creatures that spent that week in the fall of 1903 horrifying the citizens of Van Meter, Iowa, would leave a permanent mark on the hearts of experiencers and cryptozoologists alike for the next century. This bizarre set of encounters holds a firm place in the rank of the world's most baffling, most outrageous, and most enigmatic experiences that human beings have ever encountered. But the difficult truth is that we may never understand the true nature of the Van Meter Visitor. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Now the debrief. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is it. Let's do it. (laughs) It's a little delayed. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. So, first of all, my, my, uh, my, my biggest thing is... I'm I'm picturing these things, yeah. right? So as we as you're kind of going through it, first of all, uh, I get I get extreme Mothman vibes. Yeah, um, of course, I get that, and then I am also like, I, I, then you mentioned kind of as gargoyles and things like that. So like I'm picturing like these gargoyles, like literally like watching over like Gotham City. So like yeah. <laughs> like it's almost, <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah. So it was just uh, yeah, very. Very kind of creepy though, yeah. Which super is awesome. Creepy. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it for sure. The big difference is physically from reports are. I mean, these are a little more like pterosaur like, 
Okay. Like, um, there's one report. I didn't include it in the story because it just didn't work. But like the the third encounter where the guy comes out and the the beast is sort of perched on top of the telegraph pole. Right. Yeah. Um, the other fellow who comes out from the commotion reported seeing it like climb down the pole. So like hmm. he, he described what basically, you know how pterosaurs and like pterodactyls, they kind of had the, like they're almost like little hands at the points of their wings. Right. But more like talony, talony hands. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And they have that kind of like where they walk on all fours, but the front is the tips of their wings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He described some motion that was pretty similar to that. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I think that helps to kind of paint more of a picture. Um, you know, at least kind of describe it a bit more. Yeah. And of course it has the gnarly long beak and the glowing horn, which is a little different. Yeah. Which is kind of weird for sure. Yeah. It's wild. So, um, all right. So yeah, we have, we have like this, you said that basically this town is like a kind of like a quiet town. Didn't stay, you know, didn't stay open very late. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was roughly like 1am at this point and obviously nothing was open. I mean, he was trying to get home, uh, was worried his wife was basically going to be pissed that he was still out and about and, you know, and that's where like uh he he basically has like this first first actual encounter right yeah now and when you were talking about the the encounter um he basically saw like this bright uh, like this bright light yeah and so one thing i was kind of curious about because you had mentioned that he like basically sat staring at the light for what he felt was like five minutes but it ended up being an hour no it was the other way around okay it felt like so forever, it felt like, but it okay, was really that, just a couple minutes. All right, that, that, okay, my bad there, my bad. Yeah. So yeah, so it felt so like so I guess enveloped in in it that yeah. okay seems longer. All right, but like when you first mentioned the light thing to me, like I started, yeah. I was thinking, man, are, is this aliens now? Like, what are we dealing yeah. with? Um, See, that's a valid question. That's a perfectly valid question because a lot of the the encounter descriptions of this are like analogous to what we think of as ufo encounter right yeah that i mean that's what it really sounded like and especially you know like um you know staring basically staring into this this light and yelling into this light and this light basically i mean from the sound of it and the way it's described like moved over top of him almost like literally like a spotlight on him like and that was um, instantly i mean i was getting like i was just i couldn't i couldn't not think of aliens at that point like some type of like ufo like encounter or something um yeah yeah if this if this entire story was that first encounter it would be a ufo story oh yeah without a doubt yeah yeah because all he ever saw was the light he could Mm. never tell what was behind the light so because it was up on these like four-story rooftops Above him, he could never get get a view of what was actually the source of the light. So, um, and I know that you mentioned the doctor as well. Also yep. saw the light as well. Um, 
you know, and then so which sounds UFO, which also sounds like a UFO at the beginning of that because right. the light just pours in his bedroom window, and yeah. See, and these are the things that stick out to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. But see, the doctor's story turns because when he goes downstairs, he actually gets a, a good look at the creature. Right, and that's when what he had tried to shoot at it, and yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, didn't uh either the either the bullets bounced off or he just missed right. completely. I mean, so but you know, just like and I'm going now back backtracking our aliens and talking you know, sure. even like Kentucky Goblins, where they had almost like that uh like armored armored casing yeah. basically. So what if this all- thing did have something like that? Yeah. A lot of this story I did not expect so much of this story to remind me of like the Kentucky goblins or Hop- yeah. Hopkinsville goblins. It oh, does. that's, that's, that's the big thing. And then when we get into the mines and things like that, like yep. I also, I, my mind went there too. So yeah, that's, uh, exactly. yeah, that's, that's why like aliens were like the first thing that hopped out. Like who's to say this isn't an alien yeah, of some sort, you know? See, I was always, I was always familiar. I've been familiar with the van meter visitor for a while, just visually, yeah, because it's like, you know, it's it's a top cryptid, you might call it. Okay, and like, you know, our our friend from Bigfoot Society podcast, Jeremiah Byron, he he's super into the Van Meter Visitor because he's from Iowa. Ah, okay, that's like cool. that's like his cryptid, right? But like, and so I've heard him talk about it. But I was really surprised when I got into the research that like. This one's really cool because it's like a combination of things that we've heard in lots of other cryptid tales. Like it has some Mothman vibes. Mm-hmm. It has some Kentucky Goblin stuff going on. It has a lot of alien and stuff that we hear in like alien encounters. Yeah. It's, it has like, you know, as like the Kryptonaut podcast guys would say, hell or space conundrum, right? Yeah. Like it's in the... Sometimes it reminds us of aliens and then, but it's like living underground and like, what the fuck is happening here? Right, right. And uh, the other thing that was really strange was that whenever it was around, you know, like it left that just really, I guess, like strong, uh, lingering scent, um, you know, which, yeah. which was a little, a little weird and kind of off putting. Yeah, um, see. That that third encounter, the one where he like blasts the guy with fucking uh, some terrible smell. Yeah, um, it's hey, it's is is it like a weird like defense mechanism or something like? It's just uh, weird yeah, for I sure. Could, I could see it being that, but like some reports of that have uh, that I read said that when that happened to him, he. He also like lost his memory for the rest of the evening. Huh. Like he didn't remember the rest so, of that night. Okay. Okay. Cool. So that Which could be has some more alien vibes. I was gonna say. It's like lost time. <laughs> yeah, it could be some form of like almost like mental manipulation and you know, things like that where yeah. it affects like memory, you know, memory loss and, and all of that too. And yeah, just yep. a random loss of time and Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're they're still going, still going in that direction. All right. But it also has like Hellfire Demon vibes, right? Like that right. shit where they like take people over and they lose hours or days of time while they're taken over. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, um, so something, something I, and I'm probably going to skip ahead here. Um, but I wanted to get into where basically they like, I, I, the way, I guess the way that I interpreted it is that they basically like cornered this thing into this mine to literally just, I guess, just open up on it. Right. So now at that point though. We had more than one. Right. So I guess, I mean, it, this could have been multiples the whole time, you know, that everybody's, yeah. everybody's kind of running into or whatever else. Um, For sure. Or, you know, I know that, of course, they, you know, they kind of bring it to this mind. It's like, it's uh, maybe, maybe it was just like drawn to the area or drawn to the mine as well. Um, yeah. But so, you know, could it be a thing where, you know, maybe it's originating from that area too? Like obviously, like see, I, yeah. I think the general consensus is that they were living in the mine. See, and that's so, that's what I assumed. Yeah, yeah. But so, which going back to Kentucky Goblins, um, yeah. you know, some people believe that obviously the you know these little green men or goblins actually live in the mines. Yeah, um, there's so many, <laughs> so many similarities like, between the two. Yeah. See, okay, so they send the two guards out there to watch the mine, right? right? Because they'd heard rumors that they'd been hearing weird noises coming from the mines. And it's less than two hours later, they come running back into town and they describe what they heard before because they spot two of them come out of the mines and fly off. Right. The second one, by the way, is about four feet tall. It's smaller than the huh. initial one. Because the main one is described as being over eight feet tall. Right. So it could be I mean, either a male and the other one's a female or, a, a right, or an adolescent. Child. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but before they came out, what they described was they said it sounded like hell itself was escaping the mine. Like huh. crazy noises coming yeah, out of I'm, the mine. I mean, I could only I could only imagine. Like, yeah, especially I mean, just, uh, I guess, from the way that this thing is described. Um, and I was just trying to see if I could actually get a picture pulled up and it literally looks like, you know, something like a pterodactyl or something like that. Like, yeah, not, not at all. What I what I had imagined specifically, it looked like, uh, um, no, it looks like the pterosaur for right, sure. For sure. Yeah. So going back to, again, them being, you know, drawn into this mine, or maybe that's where they are living and maybe there's more, you know, there's more like deep inside of these mines, but so basically there was at the point where, you know, the, the, the two, the two guards running out, went back, alerted the town, pulled, you know, together, basically an army of like what, 16 men or so. Yeah. And then come back to ready to ready to fight basically. Yeah. So they, they go back to the outside the cave and they like lay in wait. They like set up an ambush for them when they come back to the mine. And when they do come back, they just like spring out and fucking open fire. On and it them. was still only the uh, still only the two that were Correct. ever reported. Okay. Yep. So that's what that's what's a little weird. I mean, I would, uh, you know, again, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised that there were more. Yeah. And if this was, you know, where they were living or you know where they were at, so I'm surprised, especially. I mean, being you know that much like someone essentially trying to or you know a group of people trying to like fight them or fight them off basically 
that there was no more that uh yeah i guess no more scene so yeah it's i don't know it's because once they i mean the bullets didn't work they fly back into the cave and then they blow up the cave and then, then blow, up, like, blow up the entrance right yeah i mean so maybe they died in the collapse possibly right, right. or they just escaped back to hollow earth <laughs> or there's that yeah i mean uh, look that's immediate when you t- when you talk about something that looks like a goddamn pterodactyl I mean, that yes, lives underground yeah. yeah how can i not think hollow earth right no, I, I agree i agree and and it, i i'm not surprised we're gonna get into this because i mean yeah uh, that ultimately makes the most sense right Plus the bioluminescent horn. Right, which is like, which is one of those things. And I know, like, we had talked about, uh, what was it, the one episode where we were talking about, like, the Lake Tahoe monster, Tessie. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we were talking about, like, anglerfish and stuff like that. Yep. You know, like, literally straight out of some crazy-ass, like, yeah, just area. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of similar in that. Like, yeah. you know, things that, things that wouldn't be normal... And, I mean, maybe these were things from a long time ago. Sure. And maybe maybe that mine literally had some, you know, some opening into, yeah. you know, into the yeah. center of the into, earth or, you into know, the back. inner earth. Exactly. Yeah. So, huh. like. I, I like that. I, All right. Cool. Because I see this horn, this glowing horn, and it's not just like a ambient glow right it's described as like a fucking spotlight i was gonna say it's almost like a flashlight that's built into their yes so and that to me seems like something that a creature might evolve for living underground yeah yeah something you know especially in like and i mean think of a mine too yeah like you know that'd be a perfect perfect area for them to dwell basically being so dark and you know, already have their own built-in flashlights they don't even need you know you need anything else yeah um but no i i like i like that idea um which would explain you know again explain a lot and also the fact that these basically look like dinosaurs yeah they do they really do with the long beak and the the yeah featherless I mean, wings and i was the, gonna say the picture the picture that i had pulled up like just looked gnarly like it literally looked at like something you see out of jurassic park yeah um, it looks like a pterodactyl the, with a <laughs> glowing unicorn horn the crazy beam right yeah you know yeah. minus that um but yeah like it looks like something that you would see uh yeah which is super cool i dig it i dig it a lot yeah i love the look of this thing it's super weird um, there's also this really cool theory that this is that these things and Mothman are one and the same. Okay. That they're basically the same creature interpreted at two very different cultural times in America. All right. Right. So like, I, I suppose this thing could, is, yeah, that can make sense. Cause 1903 is like dead center in the dinosaur craze for the U S Okay. So it'd be and easy to yeah. kind of like, right, to kind lean of chalk way. it up or, right, exactly, for sure. And like compare that to 
the cultural identity going on, the like cultural influences happening in the 60s when Mothman was cited. Right. And, you know, obsession with space, um, effects of psychedelics on the culture. Like, you could definitely yeah. see the same thing being characterized in a more like otherworldly persona, right? True, true. I mean, yeah, I think, I think given, given the time period, I think it's definitely going to influence a lot of the way it's it's perceived or or seen, right? Yeah. And so, and I, I think like just like you mentioned in the sixties, especially at the height of like you know psychedelic drug craze and things like that. Sure, it's going to make a big you know it's going to have an, a big impact. Yeah, on the way that it's seen and described and things like that too. So, I mean, it's I think it's definitely I think it's possible. Um, yeah, but they. Like, I guess, like, knowing a bit more specifically, like, what this looks like in comparison to, you know, the way that Mothman has been described, like, yeah. feel now like they would be two entirely different things. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily ascribe to the idea that they're the same because I think right. there are some, like, telltale differences that make it really hard to think that it's just a difference of interpretation. Right, for sure. For one, the giant fucking spotlight I mean, sticking yeah. out of its head. Like that's that, that's a nothing huge like one that. for sure. Yeah. And which is hard to I mean, even hard to even just imagine in the first place. Um you know, so yeah, I think I, I mean, but you know, again, that could also be maybe I don't I mean I'm I, the way that this described is it's very like up front, like in your face, like literally like a, a beam of light. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I could also see it maybe being a something like a glow or something, you know, like, sure. but I mean, yeah, I would, I would think that those are two, two different things for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'd I mean, say, yeah, so you're, you're probably right for sure. If you don't mind, I'll just do a little script writing here. So what if, what if the Van Meter visitor in this explosion, in this mine cave in loses its fucking glow in the dark horn? Loses its flashlight. Both right? of them? Just this one. Just one. Okay. Okay. Just, All right, just yeah. this this main one. Okay. He loses his his horn. And then sixty years later, he after sixty years living in ca- in the cave system, he developed this, you know, this workaround for the horn basically, where his eyes kind of get better at seeing in the dark, right? Yeah. And the change in the eyes also cause a red glow in the yeah. eyes. And uh, then he a, pops up adapting, out of the caves right? in fucking right outside Point Pleasant 60 years later, and boom, there's the Mothman. Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, and just as, we, as we've discussed many times, like the way that things can adapt to their surroundings to like you know just say this thing did lose its it's a gl- it's flashlight horn yeah so i think about like say like you know say someone mating right yeah they don't have a they don't have a hand or an arm like they're missing sure. an arm it doesn't mean their offspring are gonna be missing an arm 
True. You know, which I mean that, yeah, that's just a, a simple example, yeah, you yeah. know, but I know that things can adapt, things adapt to their surroundings and to whatever else they're in. But yeah. I feel like this, this particular one losing its, its flashlight horn, um, like, I don't think it would make, it would make that big of an impact. Like, I think like if, you know, if it found its mate and, you know, produced yeah. offspring, it would probably still have it. I'm saying it's um, the same one that lost its horn. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it still, would have to be. It, you know, it, I'm still like, I'm sure still the offspring would still have it. Right. Probably. Yeah. Cause he just lost it. He just, I mean, it's like you get a finger cut off. It's yeah. not like you're going to you're going to have kids with four fingers. Right. I'm not saying Mothman was his kid. I'm saying Mothman <laughs> was him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I see. I see. So yeah. that's this particular. All right. Okay. See, you're looking, you're looking at that's evolved traits fair. too you're realistically. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. I see. I see. I see what you're saying. So that's particularly this particular one. Yeah. Actually developed into what is now referred to as Mothman. Yeah. So not that it like, you know, grew and adapted and like, you know, this so on and so forth and what have you. No. Um, over the years. Okay. Not see yeah. you were thinking about the way evolutionary traits actually happen. And right. I was writing a science fiction story. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, it, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference. I suppose yeah, you know, because that thing, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna learn to adapt to its surroundings despite not having its flashlight horn. Sure, and you know, like, yeah, maybe it started to get like red glowy eyes and yeah. like just as a as a means of you know its body like adjusting. I mean, I'm possibly. trying to think of like subterranean mammals. I think they have the red eyes, like mole rats. Aren't their eyes like? I think mole rats are blind. But I'm curious, actually. I think they have the red eyes. I may be. I might be. Compl- I may be thinking of like baby mice with their weird little red eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, mole rats are just completely blind. They have little tiny, tiny eyes. But are they um, red? So some I've seen like uh, I'm just pulling up a couple pictures because I was <laughs> yeah yeah most Me of them too. no okay uh, I found one that had red eyes the others look just like little black specks on the side of their heads one's enough for me <laughs> <laughs> sold sold <laughs> uh, maybe no. yeah. obviously um, that's so uh, I'm just trying to like come up with a way that it could be that. The Van Meter Visitor and Mothman could be the same entity. I don't yeah. know. I think it's a stretch, but I mean, no, that's it's a you know that's a definitely it's a that's a cool possibility. Um, I'd say probably not. Um, so actually, I was looking. So animals with red glowing eyes at night are going to be alligators and crocodiles. Okay. Um, they Dinosaurs. Fiery red eyes in the dark. Yep, dinosaurs, owls, um, red fox, okay, um, pterodactyls, <laughs> probably, dude. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. Of course, uh, owls are in there. Everything about shine. those things are okay. creepy. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, a woodcock, a nighthawk, a black bear, gray red fox, river otter, seals, possum, <laughs> lagomorphs, rabbits, hares, etc., and porcupines. Kushtaka. <laughs> lizard man yeah, yep exactly yeah. I, don't, I don't know the okay so one of the coolest things about this story to me is like when you think of people around the turn of the century you would think that like because there was a little bit of talk in the newspaper articles at the time that this was like a demon straight from hell and like all this right. like, biblical analogy I, I saw that yeah but like mostly the town's initial reaction was to go to the high school principal who was a scientist and talk to him about Basically what he thought what was he going had to on. say about it. Yeah. Yeah. So this town turned to I science mean, before it turned to religion to answer this question, which is, I was, I was shocked. It should always it. be. Yeah. Right. But I was surprised by that for the time period. Right. Yeah. And I also, I was curious I I found out that this is one year after they discovered and classified the mountain gorilla in 1902. And that was yeah. all over the news at the time. Yeah. So like one of the first reactions to this was like, well, they just found a giant monkey in the jungle. Maybe there's a giant bat here. Right. Why, why not? Like, yeah. Like people yeah. were open to it then because this huge discovery had just been made. I you mean, yeah, I mean? that's that's a massive, like, that's massive. Yeah. For sure. And, I mean, and you know, there's still things that we're discovering to this day, but, like, imagine then, right? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's crazy. People were just very open to it at the time. Now, so, I feel like people are more closed-minded about, because people just think, like, oh, that's just, like, some fantastic story. Right. right. But, like, at the time, they were discovering pretty making pretty monumental discoveries in zoology during this well, time I mean, period. And people were people were psyched about the idea of finding new animals yeah uh but you know at that point like these were under undiscovered right yeah. yeah a lot of things were which now like it's just kind of, it's it's kind of like a oh okay like sort of thing right which yeah well, i, now I, I can like, see like Oh, now yeah. it's like oh, a new butterfly in the in the right. Amazon. That's, that's what I yeah. was gonna say. Yeah, that like basically it's like that same you know same type of reaction. Like oh, okay, cool. Yeah, like you know, like it's nobody, nobody cares. You know, like at least as as much as you think that like it should be a bigger like you should have a bigger reaction to it. Like you know, some right. of these are like, I mean, just like just recently they discovered like that like fully intact dinosaur embryo. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like, which is pretty damn cool. Like, that's that's huge. It's incredibly cool. And yeah, um, you know, but like, why is that not even even more of a, like a bigger like thing than than it was? Right. I mean, it was all over my socials, but I know I, how to I pick mean, friends. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying, like, you know, but like in like kind of more mainstream news and things like yeah. that, it was like there were a couple like little things, but it wasn't like yeah. as widely talked about is like i mean to me i think that's extraordinary yeah i agree so but it failed to bump the like demi lovato's new boyfriend story <laughs> on tmz 
Right. It did not. It or didn't. her her alien show. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> or sorry, was it UFOs or whatever? I don't know, whatever. Regardless. Who knows? During I that like show, they kind of they kind of just pretended it was all the same thing. Which, who fucking knows? Maybe it is. But yeah. like, yeah, maybe. Um. But yeah. Regardless. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go down, really, down that uh, rebel. Yeah. I really liked. I liked that about this story was how the town approached the the event. Right. Like, and it, I mean, it was very the measured. Also, like. The big thing too is like you've you've got these guys that go in to like wake the town and like nobody bats an eye they just like gang together yep. like full like brute force ready to go like it's it's you know like you don't have that now like, yeah they're just, but at this time they're just like yeah let's go for it yeah like, you well, know it's everybody just on board yeah they were into it especially this guy um, Clarence Dunn the bank manager right. He was, um, I saw an interview with the guy who literally wrote the book on this, Chad Lewis, which the okay. book is fantastic. It's called The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown. And he kind of like rebroke this story a few years ago in 2013. Uh-huh. He released this book on it. And like, even people that he interviewed in the town, just had like little pieces of the story, like, oh, I had heard about this or that. Right. And he like the book is awesome. I recommend it completely. For sure. It's it's fantastic. And Chad Lewis has a ton of awesome books. He's written like twenty five or so books on like paranormal hotspots and all kinds of stuff. But mm-hmm. um I was gonna say I was I was just double checking a thing and it basically said that he like camped out all night at this like uh in his around bank. that like mine area or whatever uh hang on oh wait who are you talking about um i thought it was uh chad lewis oh yeah he w- he actually went to van meter with his yeah. like, team and yeah they, okay i was i was yeah. right yeah so but yeah like camped outside like trying to see if they could you know basically capture or see like this thing and yeah. Apparently never had success, but well, in the site where the mine shaft where the the closed mine shaft is, now there's like an abandoned um brick and tile factory. Okay. There. And like you think of in the story, you think you would think the mine was like miles out of town, but right. it's literally like a 7 block walk. Oh, from huh. the center of town to I mean, this is a small town. Yeah. This town has well, consistently true, yeah. That's what you said. The town has consistently had about a thousand people in it since mm-hmm. nineteen hundred. It still does now. It has wow. like thirteen hundred people. It's a small town. I mean small that's town. a very, very small town. Yeah. But um so this brick and tile works that's abandoned, it when he went to um when Chad Lewis went to Van Meter to investigate he kept hearing these stories that like the brick and tile works were haunted. Hmm. That was like the, with the kids in town, that was like the place you went out there to like get spooked. You know what I mean? And they would hear like, they would see weird lights and they would think like, Oh, it's like some other group of kids are over Mm -hmm. there with a flashlight or whatever. And things would hear like, right. (laughs) And then like they'd, they'd hear 
like bricks being thrown and stuff and like get spooked and run off, you know, like you do when you're 13 right, or whatever. But like these kids didn't know the story of what had happened there. So they huh. thought all okay. that stuff, they experienced all that stuff and thought it's haunted. But, Meanwhile, Chad Lewis is like, I think you might have a Van Meter visitor <laughs> out right. there or, or a, a Mothman. Yeah. Or that <laughs> Mothman could be paying a visit, but like, I I thought that was really cool. But yeah, what that's I, super neat. I dig it. Um, in the book, they there's an interview with uh like an old timer from the town. He's like in his eighties, and he talks about Clarence Dunn, the bank manager from right. the original story. Yeah, that's what and, we were originally talking about. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he like ran the town. He was like. The he was like one of the main guys. Like towns around the these small towns around this time period had something called town elders. Mm-hmm. And those were literally the people who founded the town were still alive and helping okay. like make yeah. decisions for the town, right? I think that's that's super cool. I, I I really dig that concept or like just yeah, you know, town founders and things like that. Yeah. yeah. That is Where, literally like, the this, family like, stays stays yeah. in in that thing. Exactly. I love the idea that there was this group of like friends who were traveling, looking for a place to stop, basically, and they decided like we're gonna stop here, and they build a fucking town. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, yeah. Anyway, I mean, how cool um, would it just be just to say like, yeah, my my family was uh one of the very first you know helped found you know found the yeah. town and blah blah like. That would be pretty damn neat to say. Yeah. So, like, he was, this guy was, he, like, had the ear of the town elders. And he, like, basically, he was described as, like, a shot caller in this town. So, when he started, after he had his experience that night at the bank, it turned the whole town. Like, people were skeptical at first, but when he got behind it, it was like, oh shit, this is a thing that must actually be happening. I mean, yeah, if if, if this guy, you know, if this guy believes or yeah. says it, then yeah, I mean, obviously having such a large impact in the town, then yeah. That's another really unique thing about the story is like, oftentimes you have to take newspaper articles from this time period with a grain of salt because Always, on a yeah. slow news day, it wasn't odd for them to just make up a person's name and say a thing happened to them. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of that. Yeah. But well, like... We, we've talked about some of that. Yeah. But these aren't like throwaway characters. These are like prominent, respected members of a community that are like... <clears throat> they're like legitimate people with historic records and like... I mean, this guy was like an upper level Mason in the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Which is... Yeah. He was like... He was a shot caller. Yeah. And he... He saw this thing up close and blasted it with a shotgun to no effect. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. I, I think it, I mean, you got to feel pretty good being like somebody that's like extremely, like, I guess that respected to where you can like sway an entire town to, yeah. Like it just in one, just one motion, basically, like, yeah. This is the thing, and they're like, all right, yeah, that's the thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, like, I don't know. Like, his, 
Okay, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, lost myself there for a second. No, you're um, good. No, he like, and he would have to be pretty confident in what he saw. Because when you ran a bank at that time period, people didn't have to to put their money with you. Yeah. They didn't have, you know, like, and a bank manager's job was to make the town trust them, basically. And banks so like, were very, a lot of banks, I mean, were very hard to trust at that point yeah, in time, too. They were touch and go, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't see him risking, you know, it wouldn't be odd for people to go, I'm not giving my money to that fucking crazy person. Mm-hmm. He said he saw a dinosaur. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so he had to be pretty damn certain to risk his livelihood to get this right. story out. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a ballsy guy, though. Like For sure. You know, to risk your reputation on... You know, so, I mean, obviously, like, you know, he believed that much in order yeah. like, to, like, be that open about it. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, just to risk, like, ridicule and things like that. And this was not takes... a guy this was not a guy falling in line either because he's technically the first person to give a physical description of it. Like yeah. the first guy just saw the light. And the, right. the banker was the first yeah. guy who who actually said like this thing's a monster. Or no, I think he was the second. I think the doctor was second. Or the doctor, the doctor was, was first. second. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're right. And then OG oh gosh, what Griff. Griff uh yeah, Griff was the first. UG Griffith was the first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you got this guy that's not only the banker, but he's like just, you know, this and that. Like basically it's kind of like a jack of all trades. Yeah. Um yeah. And then uh cuz it was it was if I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to go back now. The do- was it the doctor that saw him perched on the like the telegraph pole or the telephone no. pole or whatever? That was the guy it who was, ran the hardware store. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. So like all these people were like local business owners, doctors, yeah. like they were I was all say, I mean, that seems to be like the common thing is like all these people were like either in their own, like in their businesses or whatever else. Like, I mean, obviously well contributing members of, of the town, right? They yeah. were just like the random like town drunk or somebody like that, that like you could easily just brush off as. It's crazy. Yeah. For sure. What's going on over there? Gnarly lightning and thunder. Oh, really? Well, yeah. And it scared I me. Think, I don't think it's hit us yet. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you're right. The thing about this is everyone there is like a respected member of the community. Everyone yeah. who saw it. And that it was seen by like sixteen people on the final day, like, right? I, that's I think a lot that, of people. Like, it gives it the most like, just I mean, it makes it a lot more compelling. It gives a you know a lot of credence to it. Like, I mean, but the the thing like you know that I, that I was kind of talking. Yes, you have all these people that are big members of this town that are claiming to see the same same thing on different occasions. Yep. You know, so I I think that like. It makes it more real and it gives it a lot more, especially, you know, when old old boy such and such comes back and it's like, yeah, this is the thing. And everybody's like on board instantly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, look at all the previous people that have, you know, that have had their bouts with it. Right. Yeah, definitely. 
I mean, I... I fully believe this one. I think it's hard to write this one off. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think they saw something. I don't know if they saw a dinosaur unless we're getting into Hollow Earth. Um, again, I'm always on board for Hollow Earth. I'm always getting into Hollow I, Earth. <laughs> I, you know, if, there, if there's an excuse to be able to, I'm always on board. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I, I think, like, to describe it exactly like that, that's that's where I go. You know, yeah. obviously, there's there's something more... I don't think it's been this creature that's been living in this, you know, these K or these mines or anything like that. Like, you know, like whatever goblin-y or anything. Um, sure. Unless that would be the reason. Now, maybe like an oversized, uh, you know, not not quite an owl. A bat? Um, But, I mean, there are some pretty damn big bats. That's true. You know? Yeah. So, you know, who's to say like... Some didn't make their way here, or maybe it was like a a large bird that um, you know that was captain or whatever. It might even been like you know held in captivity, like you know, yeah, um, and ended up getting out, and so that's what why we would have like the little one too, right? Um, I, I mean, don't know. You, huh. you can't overlook the fact also that this is Thunderbird country. Yeah. Yeah, like well, true. The true. the Native Americans but, in this region have like a long history of of thunderbirds. Yeah. So, I mean that's it's another uh, <laughs> There we go. There's another one we're going to get into, but Yeah. Regardless. Uh man, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I if I quite buy into just because of the flashlight horn. Yeah. That's I mean, the, that's my <laughs> that's my biggest thing. Yeah. Um you know, which, like I said, maybe it's the glowiness or something. You know, something that, like, people saw that and it was kind of like, maybe it was a brighter glow than they were used to. Sure. Maybe they weren't used to things having these types of glowing eyes or whatever else, like, you know, and that's where they saw it. And it was like, oh my gosh, it's so bright because, you know, it was new and yeah. different. Um, also, you know, again, all of these, the time period. Also, all of these... Um, you know, that's a solid point that you just made. Like, sorry, I don't mean to sound surprised. I just like, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, you actually said something that made me think for a minute. Okay. <laughs> no, like the idea of like right now we're used to like fluorescent lights and like, you know, 80 watt incandescent bulbs and shit like that. Right. So like maybe if one of us saw this, this horn, we'd be like, meh, nothing to write home about, yeah. right? But See, like, that's, that's what I'm saying. You yeah, know, that, interesting. That could possibly, and like I said, just because of the time period, you know, mm -hmm. something like that would be entirely new and different. Yeah, that could and, at least influence the way they described it, right? Because they'd be like, oh true. god, it was so bright, right? And yeah, it's just like a mild little like glow or something, sure. but. You know, it, again, it's it's different. It's new. It's yeah something that you wouldn't imagine on an animal specifically, right? Um, and again, it might not even have been this horn that was a flashlight. You know, it might have been something entirely different. But that's the way that they sell it. Like, I don't yeah. know. You know, it's I'm you know I'm kind of reaching just just trying to kind of put it together. I mean, that's a solid rationalization. 
honestly. So yeah, like I, that's yeah, kind of. I mean, that's that's kind of what I think. Like, I don't know if I buy. Like I said, if I buy into this prehistoric thing again, unless we get into Hollow Earth, then sure. like that's always possible. It's always going to be possible. But if that's not the case, then I would like to think that it was just like maybe an oversized bird. Maybe it was just something that this area was, you know, wasn't, wasn't very common in this area that now, like, you know, we may, we may now know it as something completely different. Um, you know, it might've been something, and then nobody's ever put it together. You know, that's possible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that nobody would be able to put that together, but you know, still <laughs> maybe it was some like traveling circus escaped, like, you know, bat with gigantism yeah right that's what i'm saying maybe it was something that was literally like held in captivity it was some like something that somebody owned or something and they got loose yeah and you know you have these pair of bat things that are out like flying about yeah and then catching people off guard that would also explain them holding up in a cave right right true yeah, yeah. especially during the day mm-hmm yeah Huh. So that's kind of where my, my mind goes, I think. That's interesting. I like Hollow Earth better. I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Like I said, <laughs> if we can ever have anything to just blame on Hollow Earth, then, you know, I'll always go that route. But sure, I'd say it'd be one or, one or the other, you know. If it's Hollow Earth or if, you know, whatever, then yeah, I'm I'm on board. But I don't yeah. think that's what this is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed this story. It was super cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is cool. It's uh, it's definitely a a weird, a weird kind of change, especially from kind of what we've been doing lately. Yeah, and, and also just, we're in Iowa again, two weeks in a row. Exactly true. <laughs> yeah, this is just and this like, is only a few years before the axe murder. <laughs> yeah, and last week, <clears throat> last week we did the Velisca axe murder house, and that's like a hundred miles northeast of here. And that's crazy. And like that's nine years later. Pretty damn close, actually. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, both the areas are basically have basically been swallowed by Des Moines at this point. Like <laughs> they're like, that's, you know, that's with fair. Yeah. Urban sprawl. Um I was gonna but, say maybe they're just a lot of crazy that comes out of <laughs> Iowa. Right. I'm but, just kidding. I'm just right. Kidding. It's like the Midwest's West Virginia. But um no, like I, w- I wanted to mention, they have the Van Meter Visitor Festival. I saw that. I was uh, yeah. Yes. I was gonna I was gonna mention that if you if you didn't. Yeah, I saw that. Um, th- th- I think there was even there was even like a one for this year. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I heard it, which is pretty cool. I heard about it a lot because a lot of our a lot of our fellow podcasters on Instagram that you know they've had the pleasure of hitting up the convention circuit. And we haven't mm-hmm. yet, but we're planning on on trying to do some this year, this coming year. Dude, I want to go to some um, of these festivals too. Like, yeah, but Jeremiah like the Green Men one and yeah, yes. all those. Yeah, but Jeremiah from Bigfoot Society podcast, he has talked up the Van Meter Visitor Festival so much that I'm like, I'm dead set that this is one we need to go to. Yeah, because like. I saw a video, someone interviewing the author of that book, actually, Chad Lewis, interviewing him at mm-hmm. 
the festival like in 2015 and it looked like a little it just looked like they were at like a little street fair right that's awesome but like now it is no longer just a little street fair it's like a full-blown you got like roller coasters and shit (laughs) no (laughs) it's like a full-blown cryptid convention that's awesome yeah and it sounds amazing and and this is in that specific area with yeah. you know it's yep it's thousand in, or so population yes. and everything too exactly so that's super cool like it I love and and that's going back to the little green men like in Hopkinsville and stuff like that like brings a lot to this these areas that would otherwise not like thrive as well yep without and maybe that makes it touristy or maybe that's like. You know, that's where it continues to grow off of or whatever. But I I think that's super cool. See, I like the ones with cryptids. I like the ones about cryptids because it's not... Nobody got hurt. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I get a little creeped out or uneasy or a little... I find it a little gross when, like, last week's episode. Looking through pictures of people posing in front of that house with like axes and like I know it it's grosses me out. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Yeah, it's, it's very off-putting that people are so easy to like dismiss something you know so tragic and things like that and just have fun with it. So yeah, it's. With the cryptid ones, like the Kelly Greenman that is in this mm-hmm. Van Meter Visitor Festival and the uh, Mothman Festival. Yeah. All those. It's like, to me, that feels like a town, like, harnessing its history. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, like, they're celebrating these yes. things. Like, you know, yeah. like they're proud of the, you know, of like their area is so much that it's recognized for like. You know, these little things that come out of it, it's their kind of claim to fame sort of thing. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I think, like, you should be pumped about that. Yeah. It doesn't like, feel what like... a way to hype up your town, right? Exactly. It doesn't feel like exploitation, like, say, the Lizzie Borden house. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that feels like exploitation to me. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to go on, like, a full-blown diatribe, but, like... <laughs> right. I just looked it up, and Van Meter is an eight-hour drive for us. So that's not bad. Not terrible. It's not bad at all. It's basically yeah. just I-80 straight across the Midwest. So pretty easy. I think we should try to do it this year. I was gonna say we should try we should try to hit up a couple because yeah. I said there's a couple I'd be super into doing. Yeah. At the very um, least, I'd like to do the Van Meter Visitor. I'd like to do Cryptid Bash and Cryptid Con. Of course. Yeah. And I would really like to do the Kelly Green Mendes because that's like the first I, one we really I talked about. I want to do about. that one super bad. Yeah, that one would be would be a lot of fun and like just even like looking at pictures and people like they dress up and stuff and yeah, you know like it's just super cool and it's like I don't know I dig I dig like the idea of everybody like just coming together and something that just like even like if it's silly or whatever else or if it's like firmly believed in like. Yeah. I mean, regardless, everybody's completely open to it and just has a good time with it. I dig it. Yeah. And, you know, of course, the Mothman Festival. We should probably I mean, do. Yeah. I mean, are we really a cryptid podcast unless we have a picture on Instagram of us touching Mothman's butt? I know. I know. <laughs> I think that's that's like a just, rite of passage. Right. 
I mean, just even like a picture with the statue as is. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we have to. Okay. So cool. there's a lot. There's a lot that I want to do this year, and I'm I'm actually really pumped that like now that we're you know now that we're like we're getting established, we're getting out there and stuff, and yeah, um, yeah, I think it, it's going to be a good year for sure. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to end up vending at any of these places. I think uh, the first year we should probably just attend and, you know, hang out, meet people, maybe pass out some right. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be super fun. Yep. I'm into it. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens for sure. All right. That concludes episode 27, the van meter visitor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. At campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com slash reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.